Well, greetings, dear friends. It's good to see you once again on our Wednesday Bible classes. And so we're just going to get right into this. I trust that wherever you are today, if you're in your, in your house or if you're there just you by yourself or if you're gathered with your family or wherever you might find us and be viewing this session, we just welcome you and let you know what a privilege it is for us to be able, by the help of the Lord, to just reach out with this gospel throughout his body and around the world. And to be able to do that as often as we are able to do that from here, and we encourage you to make use of, of what we do have uh, up and running on the internet, on YouTube. And uh, <clears throat> if there's a way that we can help you and be of ministry to you in any way, please let us know. Not only in these days, but in all days to come. So we're just glad to be here with you, and we're glad that our gathering together, though it may be across the world, it may be in different countries, it may be in, 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 on the continent of Africa, because we certainly have folks that have found us there, and in the Bahamas, and, and just everywhere. But wherever we are, we're there gathered in Christ, and that's what I want to talk to you about, because that's what we've been talking about for months coming out of our session on the uh, feasts of Israel, all of those, all of those which speak of the very reality of our union with Christ. And, and in all of those feasts of Israel, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, and all the feasts that are gathered up in those three feasts, the cross of Christ is central. Now wait a minute. Not the cross without Christ. The cross of Christ. Honey, it's Christ himself that makes the cross real. And, and you need to get a hold of that, folks. Sometimes we say that here and just kind of run on by it. I, I do that all the time. All of us do. Just the cross, the cross. But when we're talking about the cross, we're talking about Christ. Christ and Him crucified. Not, not the fact that He was crucified, not the event of the crucifixion. That ain't what we're talking about. Some historical thing 2,000 years ago. No, that is, no, no. We're talking about the reality of the cross fulfilled in Christ. Christ. And that's what we're talking about. Through his death, burial, resurrection, through his ascension, through his ascension. See, that ascension had to come. I must go to my Father. Go tell my disciples. I ascend to my Father and their Father. That was necessary, necessary to his death, burial, and resurrection. And as was 
as was, not only his ascension, as was his coming again. In spirit, in truth, in comfort, the indwelling Christ. And that on the day of Pentecost took the day of Pentecost right off the calendar and made it a reality of our salvation, which is Christ in you. So that's what we're talking about, our union with Christ. Now, we have this great treasure, Christ himself, sweet darling. This great treasure in earthen vessels, in earthen vessels. And we use those earthen vessels as best we can to serve him on this earth. But our life is not in the earthen vessel and are any of the things of the earth Good, bad, indifferent, it doesn't make any difference. Our life is Christ himself. And that's what we've been talking about. And that's what we continue to talk about here. And I'm not talking about this, you know, I didn't, we don't gather up these sermons like this because there's some kind of a crisis going on in our country or in somebody else's country with, with or without a crisis. Crises come and they go, and many of them are, you know, rather drastic while they're there. But my point is, hon, this is not the basis and foundation of our gospel. We're presenting a life that is real 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It is real without being measured by time because it really cannot be measured by time. It's eternal. And so for months we've been talking about that, and we're not changing that for any, any other purpose. It's simply that we are gathered together in him. Wherever we are found upon the face of the earth, we are gathered together in him. And so we are today gathered together in him. And it is that reality that I want to continue with. We uh, have been looking at that, as most of you know, but some of you are with us maybe for the first time, in Matthew 16, verse 13 through verse 20 or 21, and where Jesus, uh, after saying a number of other things, but he comes to this and he says, and I will build my church. Oh yes, there's a great deal that he says there. We've talked about it in previous lessons uh, and all of that, but the point there is I will build my church. And then we took that to John's Gospel, the second chapter, uh, and began to look at the reality there with regard to his church. But we wanted to define the church. And you cannot... Now listen to me. We cannot define the church by any outward observations. Now listen to me. You, you cannot define the church by looking at people. 
You can't define the church by looking at a building. You can't define the church by looking at people in a building. <laughs> Whatever, it don't make any difference what kind of a building. Or people in a living room. Now, all of that has a reality with it, darling. But you can't define the church by outward observation. Please listen to me on this. Many people don't think the church is functioning unless it's having a Bible conference or having a service, you know, a church service, and then all of a sudden they see the church. No, that's, no, you don't. You may see a group of people gathered in His name. You may see a group of people who are actually the church. But you can't define the church by seeing the people because invariably, well, you just can't do it. You'll give it a definition that is less than Christ. And you'll give it a definition that is less than the miracle of its existence. You understand that? I don't make the church exist. You don't either. All of, all of the things that we can do, all of our plans, all of our, you know, all of our gatherings, all of our meetings, all of which do have, yes, have real meaning. But it's not that by which the church is defined, honey. I think most people that are gathering from place to place and even in homes and different, because I've, I've been with people. I, I, have, I have been with people. I have been with preachers who, who will not gather any place but in a home, and if they're gathering any place other than a home, then they say that's not really the church. Well, see, that's, that's really stupid. I mean, that, that's not right. And yet I've been with people who, who that's what they say. And that's what they believe, and that's what they do, and I'm saying, okay. But you've actually defined nothing of Christ by doing that. Hun, we're talking about a union with Christ. A union you cannot see with your natural eye. We use these terms, Christ in you. You can stand in front of 25 million mirrors if there was a place that that many mirrors could be arranged so that you could get in the middle of it and stand there and see yourself and all those mirrors, you would not by that see anything close to Christ. Though He is in you. And then we're in Him. This, these statements are not vernaculars that we have made up here in this place or that we have made up over years of ministry. We didn't come up with these terms in ourselves. They're scriptural terms, and they speak of a spiritual reality. The only way you and I are the church, which is His body, now, that's Paul's definition of the church. And we've gone over this before. I'm gathering it up. The church 
You, you know that. It's in Ephesians 1. It's the last few verses of Ephesians 1. The church gave him head to be over all. Over, over all. The word things has been added there. Give him head over all to the church. That's a big statement. But the next is a big statement. To the church, which is his body. See? Which is his body. The fullness of him who filleth all in all. And so he says in that one place in Matthew, I will build my church. And, and, and we talk about that from time to time with regard to the word build. Um, we're not doing that this morning or right now. But we have done that and probably will do it again because it's, uh, it, it's rather a large uh, reality there. I will build my church. That wasn't something that he did 2,000 years ago. That is an ever ongoing work of the Spirit of God. I mean, honey, come on. It's an ever ongoing work of the Spirit of God for people to be born again. There's somebody, no doubt, somewhere on the face of the earth today being born, truly born from above, truly born again. An ongoing work of the Spirit of God. And so we move to, from that to John 2. And I've, I've been with it for some time, no doubt. I will raise it up. I'm not going through all the verses with you right now because I really have some that I do want to go through with you today. But it starts in John 2, and, 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 and that's 13 through 21 also. In Matthew, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think there it's Matthew, Matthew 16, I believe, and uh, through verse 13 through verse 20, or could be 21 there as well. But here it is John 2, and the key to the whole thing, the key to the whole story here is, in three days I will raise it up. Everything that they had thought for since the days of Moses, everything they had thought to be the house of God, the holy place of God, the holy of holies, all of that was their thinking because it was given to them that way as a testimony of something yet to come. Here Jesus is talking to them about what was yet to come and will soon be a work that he will do in three days. But all of that representatively, in, in, uh, even in the temple that he was then standing in, which had been refurbished, no telling how many times really, we know several times, and there it was, and he had cleaned it out, so to speak. And they asked why. And then he made his statement, destroy it. Destroy this temple. Destroy it. And he's talking about everything that goes with it because he just emptied it of all of the false 
sacrifices. He's just emptied it of all of that. I mean, that, just, that wasn't just a humane thing on the part of Jesus, and so he was just trying to, you know, save animals. No, he just emptied it of everything that he possibly could at that time. And, you know, and the ones that were involved in it as well. That whole, that whole system was about to come in him by the cross to its end. And that's what he's saying here. And yet out of that he will bring forth something that is real. And I'd like to read about that in just a minute. And, 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 and if, if, you know, if we're permitted, if I, if I don't run out of time just telling you what I'd like to do. In Hebrews, but the point is here, the answer to the whole thing is, and in three days I will raise it up. All right, that's his body. That is speaking of his body. And it is speaking of his body, the church, which is very clear in all of the epistles of Paul, all of them concerning our being quickened together and raised together and seated together, uh, having Christ as the resurrection and the life. It's talking about his body. So he brings in the cross, he gathers up in his death, burial, resurrection, in his ascension and coming again, he gathers up both of these terms the church, and his body. And he unites those two terms in the reality of who he is, which is the question that started all of this search that I've been on here over the weeks, you know, at this point in time anyway, when he asked his disciples, whom do you say that I am? And, and then just as we follow that through and go from verse to verse and just bring everything together, we come up with the church, which is his body, that can only have definition and true substance in the person of Christ. Now, I know I went around the bush saying that, hon, but that's where the church which is his body, so church and body, find not only definition, they find definition by substance. They find it all, all and in all, in Christ. That's what we're talking about. Our union with Christ. We are not, we are not t talking about a doctrine based on, based on terminology. Christ in you, Christ life, life in the Spirit. 
you in Christ. Those are wonderful statements, all of which must be understood in the person of Christ himself, all of which must be experienced in the person of Christ himself, all of which have Christ as the substance. So, so we're not just trying to indoctrinate you or anyone else with different theological terminology. No, Han. The whole desire of Christ concerning his disciples, follow that. Follow it right into John 17 or John 14 all the way through 17, but follow that. Go look at it there. And the whole desire was divine relationship that he have indwelling, that they have relationship eternal. It wasn't something of terminology, it was something of reality. And so when I say we preach Christ, that, that, that's a tremendous saying, that's a tremendous thing, but it gathers, it gathers all that is Christ into itself. We preach Christ. And we are continually knowing Christ. And we are continually learning Christ. Oh, Christ is not changing. But we are growing up in Him in all things. What is that? The all things that He is. Whom do you say that I am? Church, whom do you say that I am? For in that you will find your own definition. Now, by that little statement, I'm not saying that we are Christ. I'm saying everything exactly opposite of that. But I am saying that except we live in Him, we have no life at all. And except He dwell in us, we do not as the church exist, nor do we as His body exist, except through our union with Him. All right? All right. I will raise it up. All of this in the power of His resurrection. A power of His resurrection. I'm so glad. I mean, for my sake, I am so glad that he made the trip and that he let Lazarus die and then made that trip to raise Lazarus up. And when he was asked about Lazarus and the sisters declared that he was dead and, and Jesus said he'll live again and 
and they went off into their old covenant resurrection theology, which you'd be surprised how many people were still camped on. And he looked at Mary and Martha, and he said, I am. See, he, he, see, can you see what I'm saying? He asked his disciples, whom do you say that I am? That was the thing he wanted to bring them to because that was the thing that, that he would bring them to in his coming again in spirit, in truth, in spirit of truth, opening the eyes of their understanding to see who he is. And he looked straight at them and said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he isn't talking about something that so many today in Christianity still think is, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years ahead of us and, and you know, still looking for a resurrection. Well, so was Martha. And he stood there and said, here I stand right here in front of you. I am the resurrection. And then he goes on and, and says what that's about. Any man be in me, come to me, believe in me. It's all the same. If any man be in me, live in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You will find life in me. Even those dead in sin will find life in me. And those who live in me, those who continue to live in me, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, honey, he isn't talking about a clay pot. He isn't talking about an earth body. He is talking about the body that we become by Christ living in us. It's an eternal body. And that's the body that you can't see with your natural eye or understand with your natural mind. But that's the body that Paul came to understand by the revealing of the Son in him. As the Father revealed his Son in Paul, Paul began to understand not only his relationship, but the relationship of every born-again believer to Christ and to one another. And it was Paul that began to preach the body, the church which is his body, the union of it with Christ, and consequently, the union of it one with another. The reality of being in Christ. Now, let's look just a little farther. And that brings us to uh, Hebrews. That brings us to Hebrews. It's actually Hebrews 8 and 9 and, and 10. 
And we're not going to be able to read all of that just now. Uh, but in Hebrews 8, 1 through 7, I can read two or three verses here and then go on to some others and finally come to the one I'm after. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest. Goodness gracious. I mean, did you read this? This is the sum of everything that he's spoken up until this time. It has a summation. Everything, darling, of our salvation has a summation, and you can read of that summation if you like. In Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, where God hath summed it all up. And He summed it all up in Christ. Oh yes, in Christ. Well, here. Of all that we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest. And then... He does the same thing that Paul does everywhere. And if this is not Paul, then it's still what Paul does everywhere. He establishes the high priest. He exhorts and exalts the high priest. He establishes the high priest in heaven. He, he did the same thing in Ephesians 1 concerning Christ, the head of the church, didn't he? Didn't he? Raised him up far above all principality and power, a name above every name, seated at the, in, in heavenly places, seated there, in heaven, on the right hand of the throne. And then he goes right to the second chapter of that same letter, Ephesians, and he brings the whole body of Christ right there with him. Read that. Verse 1 through verse 7. I mean, that takes you there from the point of new birth, quickened together, raised together, seated together. There's not several thousand years that, that, that that's talking about of things that will eventually take place over a period of dispensational time. No, well, that's what happens when you're born again. That's what happens when you're joined to Christ by the Spirit of God. Come on, darling. Well, right here, it's the same thing. We haven't got a high priest off somewhere hidden from us. But here's where he is, who is set. He's a minister of the sanctuary, and notice, and of the true tabernacle. Not that's going to come one day. No, it has to be true right now, because we have the high priest right now, which the Lord pitched, not which the Lord is going to pitch at some date in time. No, 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 let's read it. Which the Lord pitched and not man. Thank God for that. Well... Now, verse 5, because you, you, you just read it all. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. That's the ones under the old. They all serve 
unto an example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was astonished, was admonished rather, astonished too I expect, admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see, saith he, you make it all things according to the pattern showed to you in the mount. And then immediately he switches from Moses to this high priest that he's talking about. But now, but now, hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place, no place, hold that, because this is where Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, then declares himself to be the place. That's in John 14. Then should be, if it was everything under the first, which was not faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But in Hebrews 10, we read that Jesus came to take away the first, the whole of it. Same thing he's saying in John 2, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, that we just read, verse 13 on through. Same thing he's saying there. I come, he come, he taketh away the first. That's the cross. And all that the cross brings into itself, that he might establish the second, that place that was promised in Exodus 15, chapter 15, verse 17. That, that place right there, that place, is the place of which Christ speaks, and is recorded in John 14, and it's the place that the Hebrew writer here, of which he is speaking, and it's the second, it's the second, the new, that is spoken of in Hebrews 10. Now, let me go on in Hebrews. Let me go on in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 9. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. Hebrews 9, verse 7. Talking about the work of the high priest in the old covenant tabernacle. But into the second. Now there is, there is Christ in absolute testimony of the one that was at that time yet to be made manifest. By using the word second. You understand? This is the second of Hebrews 10. It's the second of what I just read to you. <laughs> but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Spirit thus signifying 
that the way into the holiest of all, which is the holy of holies, which is the heavenly places that the New Testament is talking about, when Paul, and, and of course it's been translated heavenly places, it's actually translated in the original as heaven itself. But this was a type of it. The, the holy of holies was a type of what we have come to the fullness of in Christ Jesus. Honey, the reality of being in Christ is the very thing that all of Israel waited on for hundreds if not thousands of years of which they're, they're of which the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon spake. That has come in Christ. It isn't yet to come. It's the second that came with the destruction, the taking away of the first, which was the type and the shadow by earthly things of that which is heavenly. And that is now come in Christ. So having said that, I'm leaving these verses because I want to get to this verse. It's in Hebrews 9, still Hebrews 9. You can just keep on reading. And we come to verse 11. But Christ, verse 9, chap, chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ being come. Not going to come one day. Being come, and high priest of good things to come. The word to come relates to those, because that's what he's doing. He's going back, taking the high priest, all they were waiting on, all they were cleansing with the blood, all of that. Those were the good things to come. And the good things to come have now come in our high priest who being come has brought forth those things that were to come. You understand? That's what the verse is saying. I mean, I'm not making that up. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. See, we, we, we've said that again. That is... To say, not of this building, and the real translation of that word in the Greek, and it doesn't take a scholar to find it, is creation. No, hon, it's all a new creation in Christ. New dwelling place in Christ. Verse 24. Here is the absolute, the absolute difference, the absolute completeness of one who is other than any that were before him. For Christ, is not entered into the holy places, that holy of holies, made with hands. Which are the figures of the truth that all of these other high priests worked with. 
but into heaven itself. Because that's what the Holy of Holies was always a type of. And I've gone through all of that a while ago. Into heaven itself. Now. Now. To appear. In the presence of God for us. Now to appear. Not one day. Not many dispensations in time. You see, hon, Christ did away with time-ordered dispensations when He came in the fullness of time, summed it up in Himself, and completed it, and brought us into an altogether other day, the light of which is Christ Himself, and another creation. See, like the old creation was actually in the mind and heart and testimony of God, summed up summed up, brought to its end in the Sabbath, on that seventh day, which was completely outside the realm of the six days. So we have come to a day that is completely outside the realm of all the testimonies of it, and of all of the natural days and natural times and natural seasons, all of it. We find our very, our very life as children of that day. That we may walk in the light as He is in the light. On and on that goes. But just to look at it. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. And the word there, you should know by now, we've said it enough here in this place, but the word there does not indicate that he's one place and that we are another. The way the word for there is actually translated indicates that it is on our behalf, on behalf of the ones who are where? Well, the ones who are in him. What I was looking at today and have written up here on the top of this page looking at these less these verses in Hebrew, I wrote this in his presence. We're in Christ, yes. We're dwelling in him, in the heaven, in Christ. Where is the word that would really sum that up? In my mind, in my heart, and in and in more scriptures than we can look at right now, this word, the presence. We are brought into the presence. The presence of the Most High God. Of which Jesus said in John 14. After having said, I will bring you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said, I am the way. And that, there's no other way into that presence. He was the way in type and shadow for the high priest to go into a type and shadow of the presence. 
He, he, you understand that? He was the pattern shown in the mountain. Christ is the reality. And in Him we are brought into the presence. Now, we've read all of this, but maybe we can put just some of it together right here in this, in what we're talking about now. In Colossians 3, Colossians 1 and 2 brings us right up to this. I mean, if you could read those two chapters, and it would bring us right to where we are right now in this little dissertation today. I mean that. Try it. Wherefore, Now, let me look, I'm not going to, that, that's, that's verse 20 of chapter 2. Let me, verse 1 of chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ. Isn't that what we've been talking about? I will raise it up. Honey, his body comes by the power of his resurrection. You want to have a resurrection of a body, the body that you are in Christ is the resurrection body. He has raised up his body, the body which we now are, absolutely. So if then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Right back to what Paul says in Ephesians, where Christ setteth on the right hand of God. That's the place to set your affections. That's the place to set your seekings. That's the place to set your gut. That's the place to set your heart. Not on things on earth, looking for Him in those things, because that's the things it's talking about. Why? For you are dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. We just, we just read that. We just read that. For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. We just read that. It is exactly the same thing. That's what we read. For you are dead. Yes, with Christ. By the cross. It is Paul saying, I'm crucified with Christ. That's not a small thing to him. It is so large that he goes on to give an explanation of saying, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. And then what a glorious miracle of which he speaks. But Christ live up in me. Hallelujah, hon. If ye then be risen with Christ. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. But now, when Christ, and that word means whenever, whenever you see Him, whenever, whenever Christ, who is our life, who is the one who lives in us, who is the one in whom we dwell, 
shall appear. Then, in the light of that appearing, in the reality of that appearing, in the light that He is, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Certainly, you will see in the face of the one that is in you, you will see in a way you could never know before, you will see that you are standing in the presence. That you are standing in the glory. It's Him. You will see. He would say it this way. You will see that you now are where I am. That's exactly what He said in John 14, darling. This is something of what it means to be in Christ. This is something of the reality of our being in Christ. We are there in the presence. Honey, this isn't the presence that we have to wake up, shake up, build up, pray up, shout up, dance up. No, I'm, and I'm, I'm making fun of none of that, but well, this is a presence that is revealed in those who are, first of all, in Him. And then, who have set their whole heart, their whole affections upon Him. And the reason for that is because, as to the earth, not seeking your salvation there or anything there of salvation, not trying to find it in its expression. No, not there, not looking there. But rather in Him. Why? Well, because you are dead to all of that. Your life is hidden with Him. And the word in can be used there. In God. How do we see our life there? How do we see that which cannot with a natural eye be seen? See, people preach heaven today, you know, coming someday out of the cloud, whatever, whatever, in some way. But it's always used in the Old Testament kind of vernacular of visualizing something that is natural in the heavens. It's all in type and in shadow. The reality of our, of the place of our new state of being is not a type and a shadow. It's a reality of Christ. But it's one that eye has never seen and never will. Ear never heard, never can. Natural mind never conceived, never will. But the Spirit of God, enlightening the eyes of our understanding, Beholding Him, 
The scripture's full of it, hon. If we just go there looking for the truth of our salvation. You see it in the very presence, in the very face of the indwelling Son of God. For it is the Father's good pleasure to show you the salvation of the Lord. So all of that is what we're talking about under the title, The Reality of Being in Christ. Where, a work of the, where the work of the Spirit that is absolutely fulfilled and finished is ever ongoing in our heart. It isn't something yet to come that he shows us. It's that which is and of which Christ is the substance of. But it's a work of the Spirit nonetheless. You can't see it except He opened the eyes of your understanding. And that's going to happen, hon, when you set, S-E-T, set your affection on Him. So the Lord love you. And thank you so much for being with us in these various outreach uh, sessions. And uh, we have a number of those going on. Uh, uh, Raven and I are here today at the research center, and he's the one on the panel back there. Uh, Raven does this same Wednesday night class uh, and, and others as well. We're all involved in doing that. But the thing we're all doing is simply one thing. It is an outreach of this gospel, which is Christ, throughout His body and around the world. That is the thing for which we function here. May the Lord richly bless you. And I want you to know how much we appreciate those who actually help us do this. I've heard from a number of you, and I just appreciate it so much that you're wanting to help us in this outreach. And there's no way we can express to you our appreciation, but we try to do it anyway. Thank you very much. Thank you very much uh, for that which you have sent this, this very week. And I'm talking to you guys that I've heard from this week. And it thrilled my heart, man. And I want you to know we, we thank you. We thank you. And the Lord richly bless you for it. All right. See you next time.